This is Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital channel Carnival. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN 927's digital radio channel in Melbourne, Carnival. Also via rsn.net.au and the RSN Racing and Sport app. This episode, our 195th overall, is available via Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, the iHeartRadio website and app, and at warfradio.com. Coming up on this week's show, we're going to be catching up with the newly announced Subiaco WAFL women's coach, Amy Lavelle, and the 2019 VFLW Premiership coach, who's now at Williamstown, Penny Kula Reid. But first, the latest women's footy news. First of all, great news out of WA for women's state league footy with news that the West Australian Football League will return in early August with the men's and women's competitions to run alongside each other. Here's West Australian Football Commission CEO Gavin Taylor speaking on 10 News First Perth. Yeah, exciting news. We had a really good meeting today with all the Waffle CEOs and the Footy Commission. Uh, We've agreed that Waffle's back, looking at a start for the Waffle coming back in the first week of August uh, and looking at getting a season away that'll finish no later than um, uh, the week ahead of the AFL Grand Final. AFL Victoria and Cricket Victoria have reached an agreement on the new dates for football and cricket season should football return for 2020. The football season will be allowed to go as late as October 11th for juniors and October 18th for senior community football. His AFL Victoria CEO Stephen O'Donoghue speaking on RSN 927's The Breakfast Club. Yeah, it's a great result. It gives our, our leagues a bit more flexibility in scheduling. So if we work to the traditional time frame, we have to be finished a lot earlier. So having those extra bit of time coming into October and um, you know extra couple of weeks to fix your game really makes a difference because it enables um, you know, leagues to be able to play full season or full half a season they might play each other once plus they get to schedule some finals in so it does make a massive difference it takes a little bit of pressure off leagues who are looking at finishing the normal time so that bit of extension of those few weeks just gives that great flexibility which I think has been really well received and it's I think it's given a lot of um, you know um, positiveness to our, our local leagues that they can you know, schedule a couple of extra rounds or um, maybe look at different structures of their finals. We had some leagues, you know, junior leagues, for example, across the state that were looking at playing one versus two in their final series. So that might give them an extra week to play a normal final series. I think it's been a really positive result and given a lot of um, a lot of hope to a lot of leagues and clubs across the state. And mid last week, Geelong AFLW coach Paul Hood conducted a coaching women's football webinar with the USAFL community. Here's USA Freedom coach Christina Licata explaining what Paul went through. Some of the things that were brought up were teaching players how to use space, strengthening defensive transition, uh, creating effective game plans and trainings. The full webinar is available on the USAFL.com website. And that's your latest women's footy news. So now to the first about two guests for this week. She has won four premierships and two club best and fairest with the Coastal Titans slash Subiaco Women's Football Club. She has played two seasons in the AFLW with Fremantle. She is currently an assistant coach with the Fremantle Football Club, two seasons in looking after their forward line. And she is now the head coach of Subiaco in the West Australian Football League Women's Competition. It's great to have back on the line, Amy Lavelle. Amy, how are you? Good, Peter. How are you? 
Great to have you back on the line. Last time we spoke to you was uh, 2018 as you were heading into that uh, grand final against uh, East Fremantle. A lot has happened for you in two years. We'll cover a little bit of that ground, but most importantly, congratulations on securing the new position as head coach of the Subiaco women's side. Thank you. I'm really excited. Um, obviously, been in the work for a little bit and obviously a little bit of a change with the coronavirus and, and that's a little bit of delayed start to the season, but I'm glad uh, we can get started. We'll talk about that in a moment's time, about how you prepare for football when football's not happening. And now, as we know, officially, it won't be for at least another two months in WA. But let's rewind back to uh, 2018. Uh, at that stage, you just announced your retirement from playing, uh, at least at the AFLW level, 14 games with the uh, Fremantle Dockers. You went through and played a uh, grand final where you finished runners-up against East Fremantle. That's where you switched to put the coaches' hats on uh, with the Fremantle Dockers as an assistant coach. Can you guide us through that adventure over the last two years and um, what did it open up your eyes to, being able to sit in that coach's box? Yeah, it's been a quick transition, but um, it's something I've always wanted to do, um, even early days of playing and um, obviously being a, a phys ed teacher sort of that's something that I've done but I wanted to venture out a little bit more with um, the football coaching so um, just being given the opportunity by Fremantle obviously the next season to be able to be assistant coach was uh, really I wasn't um, ready for that in terms of them being wanting me (laughs) so um, for them to want me on board was really really exciting and um, it's just such a different experience compared to playing and see a different side but uh, just having those relationships with the players already at Frio uh, sort of guided me and, and gave me opportunities and all the coaches around me were, have always helped me and I'm, I'm so lucky to be a part of it to be honest. There's very much a parallel between the assistant coaching role at Fremantle and what you're doing now at Subiaco that is being within a side that you're already familiar with but a new slate when you took over as an assistant coach of the forwards at Fremantle, that's when a new head coach came in with Trent Cooper. You'll be doing the same yourself, familiar with Subiaco, and you're coming in as a new head coach. From that Fremantle experience, what is it like when you're coming in going, OK, here's a new coach, and we're not quite throwing everything out the window, but we're starting afresh? Yeah, it's obviously a different experience for me altogether, obviously not having any head coaching experience as such, but um, being able to have the two seasons already at, at Fremantle as assistant coach, I couldn't have learned any more and I continue to learn from uh, the likes of Trent and, and Craig Thomas and uh, even my friend in Lisa Webb, like we continue to learn and, and get experience. So um, I thought it was an opportunity for me to dive into that unfamiliar territory and um, just to be able to be given the opportunity um, to coach. And, um, it, you know, I do know some of the players, but a lot of the players I knew since I've, I've been playing at Subiaco. So it's great to be able to um, learn how they play and, and just completely wipe the slate clean and new season and a short season it looks like. So it's an opportunity for me to, to sort of see how I go and, and put me in good stead, hopefully, for the following season. So let's talk about the appointment to uh, being the head coach of the Subiaco women's side. Uh, everything for 2020 has been a bit screwy and up in the air. Originally, we're meant to be in round five by now of the Subiaco uh, season. So when did the actual process begin for you to be interviewed and eventually be chosen as head coach of Subiaco women's? 
Um, it's probably early on this season, probably towards the end of the Fremantle season. Um, I've been having uh, conversations with uh, Sarah Michelle, who's the president of the CV Women's, and um, she had been speaking to me last year, and, and last year... I could have taken the opportunity, hopefully, but um, having Harvey, my son, in October last year and and, uh, still working, it was um, a little bit too much on my plate. So um, I decided this year that if I was going to do it, I was going to do it uh, this year. And I did it before the coronavirus obviously uh, came to light. And um, so it was a bit disappointing not being able to start when, you know, five weeks ago when we had the opportunity to, but... At least now we still get that opportunity to play a few games and and I get to sort of get some experience and and learn from um, other people, but also to have my own ideas and my own uh, values towards what I want to do as a coach. So how does that work for the players that they're all G'd up, let's say around March, everyone's getting ready as the slow build-up to May comes and all of a sudden coronavirus starts to hit. And prior to a few weeks ago, no one knew if community or state league football was coming back. How do you manage that with the players while everyone's kind of, okay, we're juiced up, our, our bodies are right, we're ready to go for a season, but we don't know when we're going to go? Yeah, it's really tough because um, myself included, it, it's hard to be motivated when you don't have anywhere to go or any people to see. So um, the girls were ready to go and, and had a good pre-season. Um, obviously, I wasn't as much part of the pre-season being at, with my duties at, at Fremantle, but um, they were training really well. And um, then all of a sudden it hits and the motivation definitely wavers. And um, now the last couple of weeks, obviously, yeah, our restrictions have eased. So we're doing small group training, which is we can have three lots of 20 on an oval, separated zone balls, all those sort of things. So it's very logistically hard, um, but it, I suppose it's better than nothing. So the girls are starting to get excited again, knowing that they have a date to look forward to. And um, this is where hopefully in the next couple of weeks, um, the RWA restrictions will ease even further and we'll be able to get back to full training, um, which will be really exciting. Before we talk through that timeline between now and the start of August when the season will kick off, how difficult is that for the coaching panel over the last um, two months? Because as coaches, you're very goal-orientated. Okay, the goal of when the season is going to start, when we get to an X point, where we're going on the ladder. And within those goals, you've obviously got um, uh, uh, PBs that you want the players to set when it comes to 2K, running, etc. There's little goals that you can set along the way. How hard is that when there is no timeline there to be able to set goals? Very, very difficult. Um, Very new experience. Um, And probably something to learn from because the girls really have to be um, self-motivated and and we can provide direction but we can only do so much because we can't obviously we're not allowed to as a club um, you know provide them with where they can train and and those sort of things and training groups it was just where they weren't allowed to so we had to sort of rely on our players and also our leaders to, to guide the other girls hopefully to for a bit of self-motivation and then as the restrictions are eased then we can start to, to ramp it up again um, but it's all about you know commitment now um, in terms of you know if you don't come back ready to go uh, it's going to be competitive to get those those games under our belt because we're probably not going to have as many games as we were 
at the beginning of the season. Um, so spots are difficult. People are looking at being selected for, you know, the two um, WA teams in the AFLW. So there's a lot of logistics that are required, but um, most of the girls are pretty good in terms of their self-motivation. Let's talk about that juggling as well, because to give an example of what would normally be happening here in Victoria, by now we'd be uh, about three rounds into the season, and not only three rounds into the VFLW season, the NAB League girls by now would have concluded. So we would have already had an idea, at least in the state of the best under-18s. They would have, uh, after the national championships, uh, roughly around now, started filtering through into senior women's football. We get to have a look at them. How do you do that balance with a season starting in August of, okay, here's the under-18 girls who have their own competition, but there's some that you want to see at senior women's level to obviously showcase their talents for either Fremantle or the West Coast Eagles? Yeah, it's a tough one. Um, We've sort of taken a holistic approach this season um, with the three grades. So obviously we have um, league and then reserves and and also the youth girls, which are those under-18s. And um, most of the time they're quite comfortable playing in that competition. But um, I'm trying to take a holistic approach this year in terms of getting them involved as much in the top level as we can because I think um, that benefits not only their development um, in terms of being ready for being drafted or being considered to be drafted, but also um, better prepared for when they, if they do get drafted, that they're ready to go with that type of training and it's at such a different level. So um, usually we would be able to gently approach that, but I think this year we've sort of, we've almost got to put them straight in and, and see how they react, but also sort of give them the tools to be able to, to get that experience as much as they can, which is a difficult one, but... Um, yeah, we're sort of trying to take that holistic approach and working with those other coaches in the other grades to to get a, all the girls ready to go. So. I believe at least for the men's in the WAFL, they're playing each other once, which roughly works out to be about a nine-round season plus finals. Because obviously it is a, a smaller competition, the WAFLW, it's only the five teams at league level. Um, what is the plan? Is it going to be that everyone plays each other twice, so eight games in total plus two buys and then finals? Uh, I think that would be uh, the correct way to do it, but um, it's still in talk, so um, I haven't been given any um, direction in terms of how that's going to look yet, Um, but I'm sure in the next week or so I will get an idea of how that's going to look. But I would say in terms of the timing of things, as you said, um, that looks more likely than, than unlikely and then hopefully finals into September. If we look at the timeline starting now, in a way, I guess you have that experience. It very much mimics the AFLW, a short pre-season and a short hit-and-run season. Yeah, and uh, obviously everyone's in the same boat with sort of how, how much they've been able to train and how much they've been able to get the girls down to the club and those sort of things. So it's really going to be the club that is the most prepared in the short term and, as you said, willing to take it on really quickly and adapt really quickly and and um, that's going to be obviously what separates us, hopefully, is that we have that drive and that motivation and, and the girls have been working hard on their own and hopefully then we can get straight into it and, and got to start quickly and, and got to start well. As, as you said, if you don't start well, especially same as the AFLW season, then you're always playing catch-up. So. 
And just to give an idea to those outside of WA, with the current restrictions that you do have in place in WA, what is the timeline between now and the start of August? What What is the road plan that they've got for the easing of restrictions and what you're able to do as a coach before the bounce down and the start of the 2020 season? Yeah, so the Football Commission has uh, phases at this, at this stage. At the moment, we're in phase two, which is um, allowing small group training um, within restrictions, but um, not allowing a certain amount of equipment and, and those sort of things. But we will move through to phase three. I think it's early June, probably in the next couple of weeks from memory. Um, and that will be full contact training and allowed to share things and, and those sort of things. So um, still lots of uh, guidelines, lots of protocols that we have to adhere to. But um, yeah, we've been really lucky that we sort of haven't had a huge amount of um, cases in WA, so um, they are taking a hardline stance, but it's to our benefit that we kind of sooner rather than later be able to do that full contact training. So. Has there been a requirement for extra volunteers or staff to help in the preparation for this season? Uh, one thing that we keep hearing of, at least here in Victoria, is, is the term um, a, a coronavirus safety officer, essentially someone from the club that has to be at the ground to not only take everyone's details so they know everyone who was at training in case someone has COVID-19 so they can track down quickly who they were in contact with, but stuff such as making sure the balls are disinfected um, and that everyone is adhering to the restrictions in place. Yeah, it's a difficult one. Obviously, um, being women's footy rescue um, growing and and the amount of people that we have is, is sort of limited to what we can get. Um, they're very wary here about um, having more people than what is required. So um, I do have uh, some awesome uh, staff that are around me um, that continue to support and, and help with those sort of things. So um, we sort of sort of share the load, um, but most of all would be uh, Ashley Renshaw is our operations um, manager. She she tends to take that on board with the attendance and the logging of attendance. It's, it's quite a um, full-on process, but she does it well. Let's talk about recruitment in this uh, type of environment. Um, how hard is it to try and, uh, I guess, attract new players when there is limited contact with everyone? Um, and, and particularly at the same time as well, we would have known in a normal circumstance by now, AFLW delisting. Some players like to move around different state league clubs just to find their best fit to try and get a new opportunity again at AFLW level. Um, how do you try and recruit or confirm who you've got on your list with A, this coronavirus situation, but B, it's two months to the start of the season and obviously who knows what will happen for a lot of people, particularly what with work situations and those as well who may be tempted to go interstate to obviously follow AFLW dreams. It's probably the most difficult thing at the moment, um, not just for the club but also for the individual players. Um, I'm continuing to have discussions with um, AFLW players around that. Um, obviously, they can't train with us until the 31st of May. Um, so at this stage, we, you know, we sort of letting them have their own own time and and relaxing and, and those sort of things. So, um, but it is difficult because some of them are not contracted uh, for next season, and and we don't know what that looks like. And putting my Fremantle hat on, it's uh, the list management is so unknown because we don't know what's going on. So these girls are very much in limbo as to they want to play, but the clubs are like, well, we kind of don't want you to play, but then at the same time, 
you want them to play to get that experience and, and get some games under their belt. So then if they are not given a contract, then other clubs can see them and, and um, see what they have and whether they want to contract them or not. So it is a really, really difficult decision um, just, um, with what's going on at the moment. But we're trying to sort of, I'm just supporting them as much as, as I can as a coach, but um, we're also supporting them as a club to, um, if they would like to come to train, we want them to train. Um, but if it's a, it's a sticky scenario at the moment. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> I guess one advantage of the coronavirus situation is because you've got downtime, that probably gives you more opportunity as a coach to be able to sit down and go through, uh, using an old term, videotape, going through film of of, uh, of games played by Subiaco over the most uh, recent seasons, including back to the Coastal Titans days. From what you've seen over the last two years, obviously you played in the side in 2018 that got to the grand final. Last year again was thereabouts, but just fell short, knocked out at the preliminary final stage. You know you've got a team that can always challenge for the flag, but what areas of improvement would you like to see to be able to get over that final hurdle and take away the cup from East Fremantle? It's a tough one because, as you said, with work commitments and those sort of things, a lot of the girls are either really committed or they're sort of half committed. Or um, So I think just in general, my focus this year is really on, on their skills and developing their skills. I think um, we tend to shy away from that and, and try to give them the game strategies and the game plans and and it takes the focus away from their development. And I think the more we can develop their skills, then when they do or if they do get to that higher level of AFLW, that's when they learn um, the game plan and the game strategies and those sort of things. I'm really trying to simplify it, especially with our scenario at the moment with, with the coronavirus, that we simplify it and we just, really work on their skills and developing their skills. And I think if that across the board is improved, then those under-18s coming into the league teams and those sort of things are going to be better off and also it's going to improve the overall game scenario um, in the in the Waffle W. What do you use as a KPI to measure those skills, particularly when it does come to match day? You're looking for an increase in disposals or perhaps less disposals but a higher efficiency rate? You're looking at increased marks. How do you measure that as a success? Um, yeah, that's a difficult one. Um, I suppose it's more the girls' confidence in themselves to, to take on the game. Um, we see a lot of uh, inaccuracy, a lot of um, poor decision making um, because the girls don't have the confidence um, to, to take it on and make that mistake. Um, so it's more about them getting in and, and getting that contested ball and then uh, working it out nice and quickly and, and getting it on nice and quickly so that um, they get plenty of touches but then they also can understand the basics of the game, the basic skills of, of what to do when they have the ball and what to do when they don't have it. So you actually talk about that mistakes and, and backing themselves in because it's the one thing that we see, particularly when it's under 18s or some amateur footballers that come across to state league level. Um, they're a bit hesitant in their first games to take the game on. They're more focused on structure, structure. I've got to try and keep the structure and, and do what we've been taught with the game plan. Um, a, how do you teach that confidence to try and take the game on? And if you make a mistake, it doesn't matter. And B, what do you focus on of, okay, you've made the mistake of how you bounce back from making that mistake in the next play? 
I think it's just giving them more opportunities. So the more opportunities they have to make that mistake or the opportunities they have to succeed, the better off their confidence is going to be. I think um, we often in, in Waffle W or in just in general amateur leagues, we tend to, if they do make a mistake or they don't look like they fit there, we're like, oh, we'll move them somewhere else or, or that might be better off changing or, or whatever, rather than giving them the opportunity to succeed and, and giving them that time frame. And so... Um, my real focus is to give them that confidence that they're going to make plenty of mistakes but this is the league and this is the, the structure where they can make them, those mistakes and then continue to, to grow and learn from it so that um, they become better footballers. Who are the rest of the assistant coaches that will be joining you on the coaching panel this year? Um, it's a bit up in the air at the moment to be honest so um, just sort of... Uh, finalising a couple of those at the moment um, with people with different uh, roles and, and responsibilities in that. So, um, yeah, at this stage I have a couple that I'm just finalising, but, uh, yeah, can't give away too much at the moment. <laughs> well, we know that you've had two best and fairest and four premierships with the Coastal Titans and then it rolled, obviously, into the Subiaco women. So what would it mean for you at the end of the day if you were to come away from season 2020 and you would have the title Subiaco Women's Premiership Coach next to your name? Oh, it'd be a, definitely a nice title to have next to my name, but um, definitely not something that I'm striving for this year. Um, really just striving for um, the development of the players and, and them enjoying the fact that they have the opportunity to play this year and and the more we can develop our skills and enjoy ourselves and increase their confidence, then if it happens, that's fantastic. Um, but it's it's always a goal, but it's not it's not the ultimate goal that I'm striving for this year. Well, Amy, thank you very much for joining us here at the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN 927's digital radio channel, Carnival. And we wish you and the Subiaco Lions all the very best when your season kicks off in early August for the WAFLW. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Don't go anywhere. We'll have more Women's Australian Rules football on RSN Carnival coming up right after this. We are the Australian Literacy and Numeracy Foundation, striving to empower our most marginalised communities through literacy and education. Literacy is having a voice. Literacy is opportunity. Literacy is dreaming big. Literacy is freedom. Today, you can help end inequality and give every child access to our life-changing and proven literacy programs. Your support is vital. Donate now at ALNF.org. In Melbourne on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival, you're listening to the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast. So to the second of our guests for this week. In 2018, she was the inaugural head coach of the Collingwood VFLW program. She took them in her first year to the minor premiership, but would bow out in the preliminary final to Geelong. In 2019, she would reach the top of the mountain, taking Collingwood to the VFLW premiership. However, just a short time later, she would leave the club looking for a new challenge. That challenge, taking over the 2019 Wooden Spooners, the Weemstown Football Club. It's great to have back on the line a regular during our VFLW Match of the Day coverage, Penny Kula-Reed. Penny, how are you? Hi, Peter. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I'm doing not too bad considering the circumstances. 
the isolation life at the moment, but it gives you eight months to think, and eight months to think of this little tidbit, because when we last spoke to you, it was the press conference leading into the VFLW Grand Final, and back then we asked what would it mean to be Collingwood supporter growing up, being the coach of the Collingwood VFLW side and possibly taking home a premiership. We now know you did that. What does it mean to you to be actually known as the VFLW reigning premiership coach? Uh, it's, it's fantastic to still hold the title and it potentially hold it for another year. Um, <laughs> but uh, it would be nice to be the 2020 um, reigning premiership coach as well. But um, we'll wait and see what the AFL decides with that. Of course, uh, when we think about elite football, uh, the only coach to get close to going, taking a side from last to winning a premiership was Tom Hafey, who managed to get uh, his Collingwood side from 76 through to 77 into the grand final. And they fell actually one point short away from achieving the possible. For you, you now have this new duty. You're now coach of Williamstown, who were last year's wooden spooners. How is that task, first of all, when it comes to mind of, OK, I've got to start from scratch? Oh, I think it's fantastic. Um, after sort of winning the, the premiership with Collingwood Football Club, I had a, obviously got to celebrate and then sort of said, you know, what's my next chapter in my life and my coaching career? And um, the opportunity for Williamstown came up. And I, after having an interview with Jason Reddick, um, Claudia and one of their list um, subcommittee members, I just thought that, you know, we're, we're sort of a match made in heaven in terms of what they're looking for um, from, a, from a coach and what I'm looking for um, in coaching We'll talk about in a moment's time of why you chose Weemstown, but it's one thing we really ever get to discuss with a coach that's won a premiership. Once it's been done, what are you ticking off in your head of saying, yes, I achieved this as a coach, but I haven't achieved this that I want to achieve? I think really for me, it was just about how can I influence more athletes and how can I continue to build myself as a coach? Um, and there's no better way than having a team that's quite young in the competition as well and someone um, who, I, I, you know, I'm obviously a, a young coach and how can we grow together? Um, for me, it was a really exciting opportunity that Williamstown was looking for a new head coach and, yeah, I mean, it, it, my, my journey to Williamstown and ever since then has been fantastic. Let's talk about the lay of the land in October. Uh, unfortunately, you couldn't come to terms with Collingwood. You were looking for another club. And around that time, by, by luck, a number of coaching positions were available, all at very different clubs. We talk about uh, the Hawthorne side, which, of course, are not AFLW yet, but, of course, it's a strong club, as we know, in the AFL scene. They've won a premiership in the VFLW. Patrick Hill was leaving then to go to the uh, St Kilda Football Club to be an assistant coach there. So that job was available. At the Darabin and Falcons, another independent club, a club that you have a long rivalry with. Uh, they were looking for a coach after Michael Erickson departed at the end of that year. At the Carlton Football Club, a former teammate of yours, Sharon McFerrin, who was VFLW coach, elected to give up those duties to concentrate on being an assistant coach at the AFLW level. And of course, we have Weemstown, which are an independent club with a long storied history in the old VFA. So four different clubs, all with different styles of uh, uh, setups. What made you choose Weemstown over those clubs? Um, I mean, that's a great question, Peter. And I think once I, I um, learned a little bit more about their history, met their people, um, I just felt it was more fitted and suited to my style of coaching. Um, and the people that they brought in after me and while I was there, um, which I had um, a hand in, it just sort of felt like the right thing. 
Um, and I think there are people there, you know, the travel for me is, is not the best of, of times travelling across the Westgate Bridge, but I think I just have more, more to give to, to that club um, and I would learn more about myself and my style of coaching than I would at a very established Hawthorne football club, um, Carlton as well, and then also Darabin. So um, I felt that, you know, being such a, a young and inexperienced team um, and club that, you know, maybe my presence in, in the VFLW could actually be um, an advantage to them. Is there an element of wanting to put your own stamp on a side? Rightly or wrongly, it didn't matter if it was Wayne Siegman or anyone else in that seat. Whoever was the AFLW uh, uh, coach of Collingwood was always going to be seen of, oh, this VFLW side was their side. They recruited the players, the AFLW. They just happened to play VFLW. Is that an element of trying to get away from that to say, no, this, whatever you achieve with Williamstown, is 100% mine. I built this. Uh, yeah, in a sense, you know, that's, that's one thing in the back of my mind that, you know, I now have control of a program. But then, you know, what it allows me to do is then build um, from scratch. And when you go into, you know, my ultimate goal is to be an AFLW coach. So to be able to build a program from scratch, I'll learn more um, from doing that than actually have a, a club that had already something established. So definitely was in the back of my mind about putting my own spin um, on a team. But then also what is what are the coaching elements that allowed me to grow as a coach during that time. Let's talk about the first day or two moving into your new digs at Weemstown. You've come away from Collingwood, a very rich, very successful AFL club with uh, endless resources, or so it seems on the surface, going to Weemstown. Out of all the independent old VFA clubs, they're the one with the best uh, financial um, uh, status, they're, they're well, uh, a well-built organisation. But still, they're an independent, and a VFL club or the old VFA clubs don't as, have as much resources as an AFL club. What's it like moving into those new digs? And when you look at it, what's the first thing that you go, okay, I need to get this, this, and this to get myself up to scratch? Yeah, I mean, it, the, the view from my office is, you know, absolutely fantastic looking across the Williamstown Bay. So that's definitely a positive there. Um, I guess it's just it. Um, being adaptable to the environment that I'm in and the resources and facilities that are available to me and how can I then use what's given um, to be, build the best program. I mean, you know, at, at Williamstown, there's only two two teams and so their main focus is their VFL and VFLW, whereas um, some of the other clubs like, you know, Collingwood had AFL Men's Netball, AFLW, VFLW, VFL, the wheelchair. So they had seven teams to, to look after where at Williamstown there's only two um, and, you know, the, the communication between, you know, the board and filters through down to the players is, is quite um, strong because there's not as many um, stakeholders around. So I really enjoyed uh, that side of Williamstown. And I guess, you know, like you're saying, the resources aren't as, as um, easily, um, like they're not right there at my fingertips, but anything that I would want, I just ask. And it's always like a you know, potentially we'll see what we can do. Um, so it's not like I, I, these are the only things that I have. Um, it's like, well, what do you need to build the strongest program you can possibly build? Um, and they've been very flexible and, and quite strong in terms of what I can and cannot have. <laughs> Let's talk about building around you. We know that Lachlan Harris has also come across from Collingwood to Weemstown to help look after the VFLW list. Who else have you managed to bring into the fold to create your assistant coaching panel there at Weemstown? Yeah, I'm glad that you um, mentioned Lachlan. So he's he's obviously got a lot of connections with 
uh, a lot of female clubs across not just Victoria but, but um, Australia as well. He's also um, the men's assistant coach in the forward line working with um, Andrew Collins. So um, not only has he got a list management job with Williamstown, he's also an assistant coach. Uh, from Collingwood, I brought uh, across Casper or Cassandra Brooks um, as one of my assistants. Um, I've been working with Casper since we started playing footage together, so I was 16. So I've known Casper quite a long time, and we we have a really good understanding. And her philosophy of coaching is quite different to mine, which I like, um, because if there's too many of me, then, you know, what's the point? And then I also brought over uh, um, Callum Hart, who was our VFL runner for the previous two years. And what he brought um, on, the, on the park was a commitment, but also brought him in as our uh, development coach. So working with the girls in a smaller groups as, as skills, um, I think has been quite valuable for me. So been working with him for the previous two years and then again this year. Um, and then one thing that I was really strong at and spoke to um, Jason and Claudia at Williamstown was I wanted a, a sort of young, in terms of experienced female coach to one mentor, but also to, to bring that opportunity to female coaches at, at a higher level. So we brought in Emma Pawlowski. So she's got an elite basketball background and she actually played basketball with Erin Phillips. Um, so there's a little connection there. And she brings a lot of different types of management and leadership to, to the group. And also learning a new new skill has been fantastic. And then uh, lastly, but not least, we have Troy Newton, who was previously um, at Williamstown the past two years. So I think it was really important to have someone who had been there with experience who can then work with the girls as well as, you know, learn to adapt to the situ- to the type of and style of coaching that I have. You talked about keeping Newton there and obviously when a new coach comes in, there can be the cue for some players to go, oh, I might go elsewhere now, I might see greener pastures because they don't know where they're going to sit in the mix with a new coach. But you were very lucky straight away. You got some of your leaders uh, signed down pat, putting pen to paper. Nikki Wallace and Jacinta Reed agreed, right, they're staying put for 2019. Ashley Nickus, Erin Mead are back. Talia Merritt, Annabelle Sharon, uh, Jasmine Kawa, who we were very impressed with uh, last year, uh, have signed on. Ruby Tripoli, uh, VFLW Team of the Year member uh, Danica Pedersen has signed. What is those conversations like with those players that have established, that have played a year or two at Williamstown? You're the new coach coming in about your emphasis of, I want you to play and this is the role I want you to play. Yeah, so when I first moved across to Williamstown, one of the key things that I wanted to do was get um, like a sort of conversation and get to know the leadership group of last year. Um, and speak about, you know, what worked, what didn't work, what do you want to see more of, um, what do you think this team needs, H- how can we then grow as a group? Um, and that was, you know, really great insight to, to see where the girls are at, where their heads are at, what they thought was the most important thing moving forward into a new season with a new coach. And potentially, like and like you can see, we've got a, a whole group of new players as well. Um, and that was quite pivotal in the way that I started to build not just the list, but our training programs, um, our strength and conditioning programs, our pre-season. Um, that was really, really, really strong in terms of what they needed and what I thought they needed to get themselves to the next level. And, you know, I think for them, they were quite excited about having a, a new coach come across um, and that one that was really invested in them as individuals as well. So not only do we look at things on the football field, but also things off the football field. So one of the biggest things that I learned from talking to the leadership group was 
um, leadership itself and how they were all waiting for someone to step up. So uh, we put a big day together about leadership and it was not just about just because you have a title doesn't mean that you're not a leader. So I try to influence everyone and, and let them know that everyone's a leader and everyone's a leader in their own right and how can we then as a group lead together. You talk about that leadership because there had been um, a vacuum of leadership there at Williamstown after the first season. We talk about the likes of uh, Jenna Bruton, Jasmine Garner and Jess Duffin. Uh, They all played for Williamstown in that first year, all while they were in a transition period before waiting for North Melbourne to become official in the AFLW and for them to be signed to eventually go to the Kangaroos, where obviously they've uh, not only all ended up, but they've all done very well. And Jess has a, a bub on the way very shortly. So with that leadership vacuum, I think Mo Hope kind of played a role last year. Uh, Alicia Newman as well for a bit, uh, but it wasn't uh, it wasn't as diverse as it was in the first year. What do you try and do, and a to bring players in, but b to identify those players who were kind of on the fringe, maybe a little bit quiet, to try and get them to step up. Yeah, their first year they had a, a great leadership team, including uh, Sarah Chapman, who yeah. led that group in the first year, who I'm quite close with because we captained together at um, St Kilda Sharks. So, yeah, when when they sort of um, departed the the group, I think it was really important, and I think that's where it all sort of fell apart because there weren't those strong players or strong leaders around them, and then they were waiting for someone to to take that leadership uh, position. Whereas I feel that it doesn't matter who's around you are your own leader. And so really building some self-confidence within the group. Um, and, you know, for me, finding out who are the leaders and who are the ones that are happy just to um, follow as well. So really instilling some leadership qualities into some of the players who I thought could really lead the team. You know, and we've still got um, a lot of those players within within Williamstown. They just never had the opportunity to, to step up. Um, whereas I'm demanding them that they need to step up if they want to be successful this season or next season. So what are some of the new players that Penny's tried to bring in to strengthen the Williamstown side? We'll find out right after this. Been playing for a while Sweet kicks Cos footy makes you smile Sweet kicks football If you're getting ready for the trials, gotta go the extra mile. Sweet kicks football. Not always hearing that sweet sound when you kick the ball? Need to develop your footwork or explosive speed? Want to take the next step in your footy career? Then you need Sweet Kicks. More info on our Facebook page or go to our website, sweetkicksfootballacademy.com.au. Gotta go the extra mile. Sweet Kicks Football. In Melbourne on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival, you're listening to the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast. And we're chatting with the head coach of the Williamstown Seagulls in the VFL Women's Competition, Penny Gilder-Reed. So let's talk about some of the new players that you have tried to bring in. Uh, one with a little bit of experience, still very young though, uh, was Asher Price, uh, formerly playing at uh, Melbourne University. Uh, spent a number of years actually in the WA Talent Program. You managed to uh, sign her before uh, obviously the COVID-19 situation happened. Yeah, so Asher, we had um, some lengthy conversations 
to about her position within the VFLW competition. Um, and we were looking for a key forward as well. So it sort of fit hand in hand that we were looking for a player like her and she was also looking for opportunity to, to be seen. And, you know, being at uh, Melbourne Uni affiliated with North Melbourne, it was hard for her to secure her spot um, coming in and out of the team with AFLW players. So for us, it was it, that was a selling point to her saying that, you know, you are our we are looking to you as, as our key forward and you'll be getting as many games as, as we possibly see that fit for you. Um, and I think that she was really unsure of how that sat with her. And I think after sort of speaking to her a little bit more about the opportunities that we can provide her, she, she decided that Williamstown would be the team for her. I mean, Asha's, Asha's got some great qualities about her. And again, it's just giving her the opportunity to show that strength um, in her ability to score goals. Another player you brought across that you well know, she was formerly of Collingwood, was Chloe Layton. Oh, yes, Chloe. Well, Chloe was actually signed before I got there. Um, and she was started to train with started to train with Williamstown. And we had a conversation prior to me um, getting the role at Williamstown. She's like, I've moved clubs. And I was like, well, that's really exciting. Hope you go well there. And then the next time we spoke, I was speaking to her as a, as a coach. Um, <laughs> so that was that was really nice for, for us to reconnect. And, you know, she's done a lot of growth since the last time we spoke. And um, I really like working with Chloe. She's a strong uh, athlete and she really is determined to get better. So I'm really looking forward to continue to work with her. A name that popped up that I noticed, um, particularly playing in that second practice match against uh, Geelong, was a former uh, Carlton AFLW listed player, a ruck and Brady Kennedy. Yeah, yeah. So Bridie was sort of um, late onto our list. She's friends with Jasmine Kawa and she sort of spoke to me saying, oh, hey, Pan, you know, I've got this friend, Bridie. She's looking um, to play VFL again and, um, you know, would she be wanting to come down? I said, yeah, bring her down. And then little did I know it was Bridie Kennedy. Um, and I think, again, one of those players who really just needed an opportunity to to grow, um, but also just needed to fall in love with footy again after having a couple of um, not bad seasons, but just seasons that she wasn't playing her best footy. And so, you know, sometimes they say that change is as good as a holiday. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to working with Bridie again. Let's talk about a couple of youngsters you've added to uh, your list. Uh, first of all, you picked up uh, Sasha Long, who was originally on a Southern Saints list and started her footy career in the Amos down at Bo Morris. Yeah, so Sasha, yeah, I mean, she's from the southeast, so we, we sort of um, carpool together when we get the chance. Um, she's a great player in terms of um, her ability to read the play. It's it's just the jump that she needs to make from a community-level football to VFL, and she worked really hard during the preseason and started to show some really good signs. So it's it's just that, that next level that a lot of the community club players are, are finding difficult to secure a spot and I think you know not just Williamstown but there are a lot of standalone clubs that would really benefit from having those community players to build um, as a developing group so as as you said Sasha's quite young and I want to you know in the next couple of years she'd be ready for for a VFL um, like secure her spot in the VFL competition. Another player you also picked up Amy Smith now of course Smith is a popular surname but am I correct in saying she was a halfback flanker from Aberfeldy? Yeah, so Smith, uh, Amy Smith, she's the daughter of Sean Smith, the uh, legendary mark of the century. And um, Sean has actually been calling me when I was at Collingwood saying, hey, Pen, you know, I'm not biased or anything, but you've got to look at my daughter. Like, she's 
She's got a footy brain. She's only played one year because she's come from a basketball background. Um, and when she came to tryouts, I was like, who is this kid? Wow. Doesn't she have some smarts about her? And little did I know it was Amy Smith. Um, so, again, one of those players who can really advance using, you know, not just my sort of coaching style, but also the coaching group I have around me. And in those practice matches, she's just got it. She she just knows where the footy is. She knows how to move um, around the packs. And, you know, again, working with, with Sean, um, it has been really nice him being my coach. Now I'm coaching his daughter. Um, has been quite a, a nice little reunion. I thought you were about to say legendary St Kilda Sharks coach, Sean Smith. <laughs> No, Mark of the Century. Everyone knows him as Mark of the Century. Absolutely, absolutely. And, of course, I played a couple of years in the old VFA, which obviously Wimstown played in. Uh, so a nice little tie-in there. Um, the coronavirus has affected a few things. We'll talk about the big partnership in a moment. But one player, of course, all the Americans were hanging out for to watch was Rosemary Close. She played for Nightcliff up there in the NTFL women's competition. They made their first ever finals campaign with her on board. She earned the nickname Dusty. Word was she came down to Melbourne, played with Westburn Grammar for a game, was being looked at by Weemstown, but the coronavirus brought things undone. Yeah, like Rosie came in into sort of our view when she emailed us saying, hi, I'm Rosie, I'm from the US and here's my resume of, of sport. Um, and the biggest thing for me is she played against um, the American that's at Western Bulldogs, her name just... Danny um, Marshall. That's it, Marshall. She said that she played against Marshall in the American games. And I was like, oh, if you can hold up against Marshall, you've you've definitely got a chance in VFLW. So um, bringing her down um, from the NT, she had a couple of games in the NT. And then, you know, watching her game, she definitely brings something that we needed in terms of a a strong defender. Um, And then, again, using her as as a raw talent, you never know what these cross-coders can bring. Um, And she is just an absolutely lovely person. Uh, she worked extremely hard, so brought our level of, of um, work ethic up, which is something that the girls needed to do. So she definitely brings that. And, yeah, the coronavirus hit, and then that was the sort of um, turning point for, for Rosie to sort of head back home. But um, she's definitely keen to come back when we get a season up and running. Another thing prior to the coronavirus hitting, and we'll talk about in a moment what effect it's had, but let's go back to the original signing of it, was the partnership with Williamstown with the Adelaide Crows. Um, that is because the Crows used to give players to the NT Thunder, which played in two years in the VFLW. The NT Thunder, as both the men's and women's program, no longer exists. The Crows struck a deal with Williamstown, if I'm correct, with supply about five or six players a game. Um, first of all, you actually, you and Lachlan actually flew over to Adelaide. What was it like meeting the Crows? for the first time, sitting down and building that partnership of incorporating them into Weemstown. Yeah, I mean, it was a fantastic... It is a fantastic partnership and something we're looking to continue in future years. Uh, the first sit-down was, was great, working with uh, Doc um, and Phil Harper, who's the football operations manager over there, and building that, that strong relationship about how can we help each other out and, you know, what, are we, what can we accommodate with their players... Um, as well as, you know, our staff as well. So um, that first first meeting was a little bit scary, meeting the girls for the first time, um, only because I, the last time I um, saw these girls, I had played against some of them. So it was really nice to sort of just sit back and, and look at it from a different perspective because all I've ever known is Collingwood. Um, so it was really nice to sort of get another perspective on ASRW and how, it was, how different teams run. 
Um, and, you know, working with Chelsea Randall again as well as Aaron Phillips um, from a leadership point of view was, was again, eye-opening and fantastic to get their experience across to the group. And what was there going to be in the way of uh, coaching support? Now, I do recall with the NT Thunder program, uh, Narelle Smith, uh, former Wolferville Park coach and SA State coach, was essentially looking after the Crows groups of players while they kind of trained during the winter and prepared for uh, playing with the NT Thunder. And she'd go across an assistant coach with the NT Thunder. Was that type of philosophy going to be um, done with Williamstown? Yeah, something along those lines. Um, whether it was a coach support or whether it was a high-performance um, manager coming over to look at our high performance and how can we improve. And then the communication between myself and who, whichever coach they decided to take the girls through the, the group that was training over um, in South Australia. Again, that hadn't been decided, but that was definitely what we were looking for. Prior to... Um the coronavirus hitting and as you were going into your first uh, practice matches for 2020, how were the numbers on the list looking? How far were you away from a complete squad? We actually weren't too far, um, to be honest. We were just, we kept a few spots open for AFL WD listed players, um, but we had pretty much our whole list filled, um, which is really exciting because for me, I really just wanted to make sure that we had our group and our group was working um, as a collective moving forward. It was um, a little bit typical when we had girls coming in and out for trials, um, but I was quite strong in the girls and the, the style and the type of players that we were looking for. So let's talk about those practice games. Essentially, the scoreboard doesn't matter because you're trying things, you're throwing players around, trying new ideas. How satisfied were you coming out of those a handful of games of where you were tracking to prepare for what was going to be early May and the start of the 2020 VFLW season? Yeah, so the first practice match against Richmond um, was really about, for me, to, the, to my message to the girls was just go out and play. Um, I haven't seen you play. Well, I, I mean, I have because I've done a bit of research on them, but I just want them to go out and play. Like, There's no uh, structures. There's no rules. Go out. And one of the biggest things I wanted to see was the leadership of the group and who was willing to step up, who was willing to take control, who was using their voice on the field. Um, and I basically let my assistants do all the coaching. Um, because, again, I wanted to see from a a senior coach point of view how they interacted with the players. And there was a little bit of messaging about how they wanted to move the ball, but the first game was really about no rules, no structure, just go out and play footy, go out and have fun and let's see what we can build. And then, you know, that gave me a really good insight as to the girls and how they would work together and where they potentially could be best positioned. And then the second game against Geelong, was we we started to look at a little bit more structure and there was some great, um, great passages of play that we had been not working on, but had really influenced the way that and the style that we wanted to play. And hopefully that, you know, when we did our review, the girls started to see the style of play that we wanted and the style of play that we were going to bring into the 2020 season, which, you know, hopefully can still happen. But if not, you know, we've got another, the longest preseason in history um, to get ready for 2021. Yes, with the uh, coronavirus hitting. And and when it did come to a screeching halt, everything has stopped. I guess the first thing we think of is um, the Adelaide Crow situation because we've got that uh, uh, border and a 14-day quarantine period, etc. happening. So I guess the first thing that comes to mind for you is, uh uh-oh, what's going on with the Adelaide players? And do you almost have to make plans for 2020 where there is a remote possibility, but 
by the time many months go by that restrictions may ease. But, okay, we may have to go into this season without those Crows players. Yeah, and that's something that we've considered as well. And it, it's not, you know, it's out of our control. Um, and if we could house those Adelaide players, we would love to. But if we can't, then, you know, it just gives our girls a more opportunity to play in a competition that they may not have been able to play in due to those Adelaide girls. So, you know, it, it, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Well, let's talk about the date where we're at now. As we record this, this is around and airing on the 27th of May uh, 2020. Uh, we would have, in a normal circumstance, just pa- passed round three. In fact, uh, we would have just covered the um, Weemstown versus Southern Saints Saturday night game that was meant to be played at Port Jellybrand at 6pm uh, on a Saturday night. We we're actually looking forward to that. But, of course, as we know, the season is, is all in pause. How difficult is it for you as a coaching team at the moment to... Um, with all the players spread out to to coach the players, keep them focused, etc. Particularly a lot of coaches, they're goal-orientated. You normally have got a timeline to things of where you want players to be at and where they're progressing, both from a skills perspective and also uh, obviously from a fitness perspective. How do you coach around no goals, no timeline? Well, that's exactly right, Peter. Like, I'm a planner. Um, I love to have things planned. And as soon as, you know, when coronavirus hit, you plan something and then, you know, the goalposts change. So for me, um, it's actually been quite nice sitting back and just letting things and being in the moment. Um, and the hardest thing for me was putting too much pressure on these girls to continue their programs with the unknown of what the outcomes could be. So we, we set the girls up with programs and, and, you know, some skills and stuff, but we haven't really pressured them into doing anything only because we don't know, um, you know, my my thought process is we're professional and if they want to be ready for a season come four weeks' time, then, you know, let's hope they've done the work. And if they haven't, well, they're going to have a really hard four-week program that they're going to have to get themselves into. But, you know, I'm, I'm not going to baby them. They are all adults and they all can, if they want to succeed, they need to bring their own sort of um, development to, to the group. So for me, it, I've just actually sat back. Um, I've actually really enjoyed spending some time on myself, um, going into a new club. It was all go, 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 working from 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. pretty much every single day. So, um, you know, I've actually taken the time to sit back and reflect on how I can do things better, Um, you know, maybe some processes and some um, spreadsheets that can be looked at differently. How can we then do review process differently? You know, getting our priorities right in terms of what's more important for us. Um, and just really just taking a step back because I think I was going to burn out before the start of the season. So um, I've actually really enjoyed it, to be honest. There's a few difficult things around at the moment with uh, with everything paused because of the coronavirus. You talked about then having some spots on the list for AFLW talent that get delisted. At the moment, as, as much as we know that some clubs have already got in their head, which clubs they, which players they wanted to list, they can't officially announce anything yet because nothing's been uh, agreed to yet with the trade period when the draft will be held, etc. Everything like that's up in the air. Plus, at the same time, if we look at the other end of the list, the NAB League girls competition paused after only one or two rounds, and normally around this time of year would roughly be about the youth girls championships, and you'd start to be fed some under 18s players from the Western Jets to come into your side. How do you balance that going forward in not being able to plan of who can we go after for AFLW and who we can go after for NAB League girls? Yeah, again, it's it's an unknown situation. And, you know, as soon as you start, 
making plans, it, it, it changes. So until we get confirmation or any word from the AFL, we sort of just, you know, taking a step back and let, you know, ride in the wave like everybody else is. And, you know, it's keeping in touch with the girls and, and working on things that are outside of football to really gel and bond more as a group rather than having it all about football. Now we actually have to talk to each other, um, not about football. So that's actually brought something a little bit different to our group in terms of going out of our, not going out of your way, but when you're in a situation, you're in a room, you tend to want to talk to someone. But now that we're not in the room, how do we then continue to build that connection with, with the group? So I guess until the AFL make any more sort of decisions, we're sort of just sitting here in limbo like everybody else. Talking about sitting in limbo, in fact, the Williamstown Football Club put on their Facebook page a couple of days ago what the current situation with the VFLW is. Um, everyone's been hanging out news for it, uh, including that article, which normally the Williamstown Football Club has maybe anywhere between two to a dozen shares of a Facebook post. That post has had 107 shares because I think everyone is so desperate for news on, on where the VFLW is at. And unfortunately, there's just no news to report, just hurdles that have to be crossed. Um, have, you, have you come, to, I guess, to an idea in your head that, let's say the worst happens, let's say that they said the VFLW cannot go ahead, 2020 is a write-off. Have you considered what you're going to do over the next few months or so until, I guess, pre-season, November, December for 2021? Yeah, I mean, we had a, um, a staff meeting last night and just spoke about a couple of scenarios that, you know, could come up. Um, once the decision is made, uh, regardless of what happens, we, we have decided about a couple of things and not that we're, we've planned, but we've come up with a few scenarios that we might be looking at. And once we sort of get a decision, um, then we can start looking at those different scenarios. But, you know, it, we may have a pre-season in November or we may have a pre-season in January where they push everything back and, you know, everything's a bit unknown at the moment. And, you know, I think some of the girls are getting quite anxious um, in terms of not having anything to focus on. So um, for me, it's really just about, you know, can we find some answers for them or how do we then sort of decrease that anxiety for, for the players and, and the group? And I know um, they're also not just our VFL crew, but there's, you know, every other VFL club is in the same boat as well. I just want to talk about one of those scenarios because Mitch Scally raised it actually a couple of months ago um, now as coach of Darabin. They're in the unique situation where they have a VFLW side. Plus, underneath them, they've got two sides which play community football in the Northern Football League. And there's a possibility that he talked about saying the State League might get called off, but the grassroots may happen. Um Again, in that scenario, you've got close ties with the St Kilda Sharks, obviously, for, for the over 200 games that you've played there. Um, what would happen in, in, in that scenario where it's just grassroots football? You just find yourself hanging out the Sharks more or, or going around the different community clubs, essentially just keeping an eye on what all your players are doing who will make up your 2021 squad? Yeah, I mean, and that was one of the scenarios that we spoke about is, you know, if BFL doesn't go ahead and... Um, community and local level does. What does that look like for our players and, and our staff? And how can we then influence and involve ourselves um, in in that sort of environment? So we've we've done a, a couple of what ifs, um, and until we get any information, we, we're sort of just you know, um, it's all a, all an idea. Finally, before we let you go, if the VFLW season does kick off and we've got our fingers crossed for it as you head in as the reigning premiership coach, do you have for yourself a motto or one big goal, obviously excluding the premiership, that you want to achieve in your first year as coach of Weemstown? Um, yeah, I mean, the biggest thing for me 
coming into Williamstown is just about the development of the players um, and seeing them develop. So oh, we brought in a development coach and we've done a lot of work on skills, um, a lot of work on fitness. And then for me, the biggest thing is how many of our players can we then improve their skills and their fitness and their football knowledge. For me, it would be nice to win, you know, more than a handful of games, but that's not the end goal. And, you know, my, my biggest goal is to develop this group, um, maybe not be success, as successful this year, but definitely in the, in the years to come, building a really strong foundation for the Williamstown Football Club to be successful in future years. And one little cheeky question before I let you go. Heading into the VFLW finals last year, I actually asked you the question ago, are you interested in any property around Barclay Street Footscray, considering the then Western Bulldogs gig was up for offer? You're not interested in any real estate around Punt Road Richmond, are you? Uh, Nah, not at this stage. I think I need to submit myself um, in the VFLW program before I start looking at any type of real estate in in, um, Punt Road. But, you know, I can always go for a look. Well, Penny, thank you very much for joining us here on the Women's Australian Football Podcast on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival. And fingers crossed, we're up and away with the VFLW season very shortly. Thanks, Pete. Anytime. And that concludes the 195th episode of the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast. This podcast airs first every Wednesday evening from 6pm Australian Eastern Standard Time in Melbourne on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival and then is available later as a podcast via Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, the iHeartRadio website and app WARFradio.com or just go into Google and search Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast. Don't forget to follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Just search WARFradio. Until next week, I'm Peter Holden. Thanks so much for your company and it's bye for now.